morning, friends. Welcome to the bridge again. We're going to have a look at the Bible in a moment. Um, if you're this afternoon, some of us are going down to the um, Stand with Israel rally, which is in Trafalgar Square at 2:30. If you'd like to join us, we'll be leaving here about 1:15. Go down on the bus and tube. So um, Barbara will be able to give you a little notice to hold up as well. <laughs> so that will be uh, happening this afternoon. Meanwhile, let's just have a word of prayer as we come to the Word of God. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you it's the truth. Pray you help me to speak in the name of Jesus and that your Word will go out and accomplish your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the theme I want to look at today is as in the days of Noah. As in the days of Noah. Jesus said it'd be as in the days of Noah, in the days before his second coming. And if you read in the Bible, which we're going to do in a moment, you can see that the days of Noah were not the greatest time to be alive. All sorts of bad stuff was going on in the earth. And it was pretty much like Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where he says, In the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unknown, days of violence and corruption. If you look around the world today, you can see that world events are taking a very dangerous turn. Uh, every month I'm doing this. How much longer before we head towards the precipice and tip over it, tip over the edge? Uh, we're living in a year where almost half the major countries in the world are going to have elections of some kind. And how many of you are hoping that they're going to elect governments who will be able to sort out the mess which the world is in? Or presidents or rulers? How much confidence do you have that the world religious leaders are going to sort it out and bring some wise counsel to the world? I see a lot of people shaking their heads. Probably not very much. And as we hear of wars and rumours of wars, natural disasters, famines, plagues, dictatorships, persecutions of Christians... Terrible behaviour by large numbers of people. Uh, as we've just read in the passage from Timothy, those who are biblically minded amongst us must be wondering, are we indeed living in the last days before the coming of the Lord, coming again of the Messiah? Now, in Matthew 24, Jesus said it would be as in the days of Noah. So let's have a look and see in Genesis chapter 6 how it was in the days of Noah. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Genesis chapter 6. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all that whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that in every, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh, is a, is, <clears throat> the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them and with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above, and set the door of the ark on in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing 
floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing on the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Some people think that's just a story, a myth, or just a local flood. But if you follow uh, Genesis, uh, answers in Genesis and other creationist groups, you can show you that there is evidence that there was a universal flood. And it explains a lot of things about the fossils, about the age of the earth, and all kinds of things which uh, I haven't time to go into. But basically I'm taking, treating this as an event which took place. Jesus said it was as in the days of Noah, so Jesus obviously believed that this was something which took place and something which we can learn a lesson from. We see that what uh, the condition of the earth was, that the earth was full of violence. Every imagination of the heart of man was only evil continually. In other words, there was something going wrong in the thought life of human beings, which is causing them to act in a violent and a destructive way. And it's clear that the reason for this violent and destructive way was because of a rejection of God and of his way and acceptance of the power of evil spirits, which were influencing people at this time. Got so bad that God was sorry that he'd made the human race and he decided to bring judgment in the form of a flood which would eliminate all life apart from those who went into the ark. And Noah and his family <coughs> found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, there was a group of people who God favoured and was favouring them in such a way that they would be saved from the destruction which was coming upon the earth. Noah was a just man in his generation, it says. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Grace, God's kindness towards those who are in his will. <clears throat> May we too be in his will and find grace through faith in Jesus the Messiah. The ark itself is a type of salvation. Uh, if you look into it, you can see that there was one way in which people could be saved from the judgment which was coming, and that was to go into the ark. If they were in the ark, they were safe. If they were outside of the ark, they were not safe. Also, as Noah was building the ark, there was a warning going out to people of the coming of judgment, that they had to make a choice. And if they were right, they would repent and believe in the Lord and would turn to him and find salvation. Very few responded, but it showed that there was one way to be saved. And you can see that there are a number of parallels with what's happening in the world today. We see the world full of violence, we see the world corrupt before the Lord, and we see that God, in many ways, is sorry that he's made the human race because of the things which are happening, taking place on the earth. And that God has selected out of the peoples of the earth the people who will find grace in his sight and will go into the place of salvation, which is faith in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. May each one of us who are hearing this message be those who have a place in God's kingdom and who know the way into the ark of salvation through faith in Jesus. And notice there's one door in the ark. There's one way in. There's one door into heaven. That's through faith in Jesus Christ, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus said it would be as in the days of Noah. Can you see parallels with what was happening in the days of Noah with what's happening in our time? It says the earth is going to be filled with violence. The earth is going to be corrupt before the Lord. That's how it is today, isn't it? reading a book recently called Chaos by Michael Snyder. Uh, you, I got it off the internet, and you can get it from Amazon, or you can get it by Kindle, which I did. And he's basically warning of the approaching apocalyptic events which are threatening the future of humanity. And there are some things which he refers to, as well as some of the things which I've spoken of in our recent prophecy talks. Also produced a little diagram there of coming chaos, of Wars, Russia, China, uh, Middle East, uh, <coughs> also debt problems, collapse of banking system, 
all these things which are threatening the world around us. Is this real or is it just imagination? Some people like to blot it out. But if you are realistic, you have to face it that these things are happening. Uh, you can kind of escape and just sit at home and watch Coronation Street or something and pretend it's not happening. But the fact is that these things are happening in the world today. And if you analyze them, they're building up in intensity. And they're building up in intensity in such a way that they could bring a huge change to the way we live in our time now. <coughs> the earth is filled with violence. I guess the most dangerous situation at the present time is Israel and Gaza, which has the potential to spread into the region. We've seen this atrocious attack by Hamas on Israel, and Israel has now taken action against Hamas and is now in action in Gaza uh, with the intent of eliminating Hamas. Uh, Hamas, by the way, in Hebrew is word which is used in Genesis is the word for violence. I don't know if you know that. Uh, Hamas actually showed what would happen if, God forbid, they were to defeat Israel and to take over. Massacre of the Jews and the end of the state of Israel. Naturally, Israel doesn't want to be massacred and doesn't want to be brought to an end. Therefore, they're taking action to defend themselves. Uh, South Africa has just accused them of genocide for doing this. Uh, certainly, there has been terrible situation in Gaza, which has affected the Arabs and the Palestinians, which we should also be concerned about. But the responsibility for that has to be with Hamas, who have placed their weapons and their missiles underneath uh, in the tunnels, which are underneath civilian areas, hospitals, schools, residential places, and which have caused the destruction which have come upon Israel, upon Gaza. And the basic reason is because Hamas wants to eliminate Israel. Part of their charter says that Israel exists and would continue to exist until the Islamic movement destroys it. Uh, there seems to be a kind of idea that uh, you should be allowed to destroy Israel and people you don't like, but Israel should not be allowed to defend itself. Uh, well, I think they should be allowed to defend themselves. But it is a dangerous situation, and one has to say there's a danger of the war spreading. We're already it's happening uh, with what's happening in the Red Sea, with the Houthis, another group which are uh, affecting, which have attacked ships and are now affecting world trade through the Red Sea and the Suez Canal. And as a result, our government and the United States have already attacked uh, targets in Yemen based by the Houthis. Danger of this thing spreading, spreading further. And also conflict on the northern border with Hezbollah, which could bring massive destruction to both Israel and to Lebanon. Behind all of this, there is the country of Iran, which is using these countries as proxies to uh, attack Israel. 2016, Hossein Salami, who is today the uh, commander-in-chief of Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guards, said on state-run television, today more than ever, there is fertile ground with the grace of Allah for the annihilation, the wiping out, and the collapse of the Zionist regime. In Lebanon alone, we have over 100,000 missiles which are ready to be launched if there's a will, if it serves our interests, and if the Zionist regime repeats its past mistakes due to its miscalculations, these missiles will pass through space and strike at the heart of the Zionist regime. They will prepare the ground for its great collapse in the new era. Uh, so Israel doesn't want to be collapsed, and it wants to defend itself. It's actually got a very effective anti-missile system, but it can't defend itself against all missiles coming in. And so you have a dangerous situation there. And Iran has been supplying Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis with these missiles, also with the ability to make missiles themselves. And what, one of the real dangers we're seeing in the world today is actually the development of just not just missiles, but drones, which are being supplied through rogue regimes like Iran, uh, not just to uh, their proxies, also to Russia and to other places. And they can rain death and destruction down on the people who are underneath them. Some have said the only way to stabilize the Middle East is to put pressure on the Iranian regime and ultimately to attack the Iranian regime to destroy its uh, missile production systems. They do that, we're into a major war, which could bring in Russia and lead to the Gog and Magog War of Ezekiel 38-39. How these things will end up, we don't know. Uh, there are certainly constraints on Iran. They don't want to get into a war. Uh, that's why they're using their proxies to attack Israel. 
But there is a very dangerous and bad regime presently in Iran, which is allied to another bad regime, to Russia, and also even using North Korea and China and other regimes which are hostile to peace and safety. We also see that China is harassing its neighbors in the South China Sea, making direct threats to take over Taiwan, which could bring it into conflict with the United States. So I've talked about Russia and China getting together in a kind of alliance to confront the Western uh, globalist agenda with their own globalist agenda, with the idea of bringing down the Western one and imposing theirs on the rest of the world. And we see also Russia involved in Ukraine, uh, threatening possibly to win that war. People have said that now that the West is getting a little bit tired of Ukraine and they're going to supply fewer missiles, if so, Russia may win that war, in which case the rest of the world will be in trouble. We have a huge problem which is facing the world, and not just in these countries. A number of situations developing, bringing chronic suffering to millions of people. In Sudan, seven million people have been displaced. Five million are facing chronic hunger as a result of a civil war. Medical care has collapsed. Khartoum has been virtually destroyed. Arab militias are attacking non-Arab people in Darfur, deliberately targeting civilians and causing thousands to flee to neighboring Chad. How many demonstrations have you seen in London about that? None. It's okay, actually, for Muslims to kill Muslims, but it's not okay for anyone else to do that. That's actually just one of 35 armed conflicts taking place in Africa, causing around 40 million people to be displaced, mainly within their own countries. What more can you say? It goes on and on. Uh, actually, because of the Russian action, which is uh, attacking a neighboring country, and Russia is a permanent member of the UN Security Council, now other countries feel freer to attack smaller neighbors. Azerbaijan has attacked Armenia. Venezuela is now making claims on half of Guyana. North Korea is building up its military and missile strength, threatening its neighbors, South Korea, Japan, and even the United States. Turkey is now attacking the Kurdish regions of Iraq and Syria, even made threats against Cyprus and the Greek islands. President Erdogan has dreams of restoring the Ottoman Empire and ruling over Syria and Israel. You've got Syria and Lebanon, Libya, Sudan, all wracked by internal conflict. And above all, you've got this issue of missiles and drones and weapons of destruction being spread around the world. It's terrible. You think just how much effort is being put on, put into creating means of destruction. What does God think about it? God sees all these people who he loves who are subject to these horrible regimes bringing death and destruction and creating weapons of destruction instead of creating things which can be useful and helpful to people. But when you look at Israel, Israel has its faults. I'm not saying that Israel is without any faults, but when you look at what Israel has created in the 75 years it's been there in terms of agriculture, in terms of medicine, in terms of technology, things which can be used for benefit of people. You look at what their enemies have produced, what has Iran produced, what has the Islamic, re Islamic regimes all around us produced, nothing of any value. And yet we see thousands of people in our city marching today in support of those who are actually seeking to bring destruction to the world. Uh, it's interesting that uh, you have this kind of red-green alliance, if you like, of the far left and the Islamists coming together, uh, marching against Israel, but also marching against basically Western civilization and wanting to bring us down too. Uh, yesterday there was a picture of a group carrying this flag at the march. And if you know what this flag is, it's the flag of Jabhat al-Nusra, the ISIS flag, which was used in Syria. It's actually illegal to carry that flag because it's a terrorist flag. Whether they'll be caught and prosecuted, I don't know. There's also a man who stood up, and I saw a clip of him saying this was, uh, his name was Muhammad, and he said, we must normalize massacres as part of the status quo. Uh, and he said that publicly. 
That's an incitement to violence and to murder. It's illegal. Again, he should be picked up and should be prosecuted. But that's happening in our city here. It's happening even now. Happened yesterday. And you've got these people who are also not just against Israel, they're violently anti-Christian, and they want to suppress Christianity and to replace it with Islam. How many things are happening in the world today on this line? We also see societies being increasingly subject to people who use violence, drug gangs, crazed people going around with guns and with, uh, with, with knives and undermining the peace and prosperity even within our own countries. The earth is filled with violence and every imagination of the heart of man is only evil continually. It's happening now. And if you look at it, it's pretty scary. That's why we hope in Jesus. Also, you can see other things which are happening, like famine. Global food supplies have kept, keep getting tighter and global hunger has risen to extremely alarming levels. 2.4 billion people don't have enough food to eat last year. 750 million experienced chronic hunger. Food prices are rising worldwide and crops are being devastated by natural disasters and bizarre weather patterns. Wars preventing grain exports from, grain, from Ukraine and Russia, while India has banned rice exports due to domestic shortages. You've also got world government people like John Kerry, who's the uh, US climate czar, who said that agriculture contributes 30% towards global warming. Uh, causes of this, he says, are cattle breeding, meat production, and the use of chemical fertilizers. So these must be cut back in order to reach zero carbon. If you work out what this is going to happen, it's going to cut down the amount of food which people are able to produce, especially in some of the poorer countries of the world, which will add to the growing food crisis, uh, which will cause suffering to be off the charts for people. What about the state of the economy? Uh, now, they say that sometimes that the UK and US economy is actually improving. Well. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> I see Ken shaking his head there because he knows more about it than I do. But basically, um, this is what Michael Snyder says, actually. He says in his book, the U.S. economy has reached a historic tipping point with $2 trillion added to national debt in a few months in 2023. Debt now stands at $33 trillion. First half of 2023 saw the second largest banking collapse in U.S. history. Interest rates and unemployment are rising. Around 100 million working-age Americans are not in the labor force. Housing is becoming unaffordable for many, either buying or renting, resulting in growing homelessness. Social conditions of crime, drug addiction, and lawlessness are spreading across the nation. Major stores are pulling out of big cities because they cannot afford to operate due to rampant shoplifting. Not quite as bad here, but you can see that there are things happening here which are pretty much the same. And he also goes on to say how Russia and China are working on their alternative world order plan through their BRICS alliance, which is in conflict with the Western-based world order plan. If they succeed in removing the petrodollar system, and it could cause the collapse of the dollar and the U.S. economy. He writes, the U.S. dollar will never be again as dominant as it was, and a great economic chaos is ahead of us. And of course, this applies not just to the U.S., but also to the EU economies. Goes on to speak about the dangers of AI taking control, also the cultural transformation as Christianity is abandoned and destructive ideologies, especially like the LGBT and so on, take over. Also the possibility of massive cyber attacks collapsing the system or natural disasters bringing down the internet and the electric grid. Now, obviously, it's not very good news, all of this, but it's happening, and you can see it's building up. So we have to be aware of what's happening in the world today and the potential. Now, it's possible they may manage to hold back these things. But the process is there. Now, maybe this is part of the plan. And in my latest edition of Light for the Last Days, I've written an article called Conspiracy or Chaos. I won't go into all the details, but there are those who say that back in, that there is some kind of a plan to use even this chaos to bring in a global government, a new world order. Back in 2021, I wrote in Light for Last Days about a plan by the World Economic Forum 
which is a globalist outfit which brings together governments, industry, education, all kinds of uh, high-powered people to push for the transformation of global society. Their leader, Klaus Schwab, described in his book, COVID-19, The Great Reset, in which he said, every country from the USA to China, every industry from oil and gas to tech in a great, needs a great reset of capitalism. His preferred future will only come about through some kind of effective global governance. So this will create a new social contract that honors the dignity of every human being. In other words, the Great Reset is a blueprint for a world government. Brings together leaders of government, industry, banking, healthcare, education, etc., to work with the United Nations on the transformation of global society towards their global government program, which is called UN Agenda 30. And the ultimate aim is to control everyone through a database ID system and new forms of currency called central bank digital currencies, in which they're able to monitor and control people's ability to buy and sell, to travel, to express opinions, to get onto the internet, etc. And you end up basically with a global control state, pretty much like a China or a police state. February 2023, there was a world government summit in Abu Dhabi where uh, the World Economic Forum's leader, Klaus Schwab, gave a speech in which he said, we're anticipating a black swan event. What does he mean by a black swan event? Black swan event is something unexpected which happens, which changes everything. So he's suggesting that something will happen which will tip the world into this crisis which, out of which they will bring the new world order, or the globalist agenda. So what is it? Is it a war, an economic collapse, cyber attack bringing down the internet, another pandemic perhaps? They even spoke about a supposed UFO invasion. Sometimes I wonder if it could be actually the rapture of the church, uh, which would then bring about some kind of change in their thinking. But they're anticipating something to happen. They're actually anticipating something to happen this year, uh, which they hope will happen before the UN summit, well, they hope, they say will happen before the UN summit of the future, which is to take place in September 2024. This summit can be used as a means to move forward the goal of central control by the, of affairs by the UN. According to its website, this summit aims to address, quote, the major global shocks in recent years, including the COVID pandemic, the Ukraine war, the planetary crisis, among others which have challenged our international institutions. It aims to address gaps in global governments, to reaffirm existing commitments, including the sustainable development goals, uh, i.e. the push for net zero, and the UN Charter, Nations Charter. So basically, they're talking about bringing in a crisis to bring in the New World Order through what they call a black swan event, also making progress towards this. Now, a lot of people dismiss this as a conspiracy theory, but it's not difficult to dig out statements from those responsible saying that's precisely their intention. And this ties in with Bible prophecies saying there will be a world dictatorship run by the Antichrist in the final pe uh, period of history before the return of Jesus Christ as you read in Revelation chapter 13. Uh, view of time restraint, I won't go into details on this, but you can read about it in the current Light for Last Days, which is on the table, and also the World Government booklet, which is also on the table at the front there. And these are also available on our Light for Last Days website. Okay, so that's some of the bad news. What can we do about it? One of the things we have to recognize is that all this does line up with Bible prophecy, signs of the last days. Uh, in Matthew 24, Jesus was asked, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is not yet. The end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of the sorrows. If you look through Matthew 24, I believe that actually in the first part of Matthew 24, Jesus outlines three stages in his second coming. First of all, he speaks about what he calls the beginning of sorrows or the beginnings of birth pains. 
And I would say that we're actually in the beginning of birth pains. You're seeing these things happening now. Seeing these things taking place. And it's a process which, once it's begun, it's not going to change. Uh, it talks about labor pains. One of the images used in the Bible about the last days is the image of the woman in labor. When a woman goes into labor, she experiences a series of contractions uh, which get more intense the nearer you get to the birth of the baby. And once they've begun, they can't be reversed until the birth of the baby. So once you see this process beginning, the labor pains beginning, it's going to continue until you reach the birth of the child, which in this case is actually the second coming of Jesus. Uh, when the child is born, if it's a healthy child and is a wanted child, then there is rejoicing because of the birth of the child and the pain and the suffering which has gone before is forgotten. At least by those who are on the side of Jesus. But you see that this process has begun and it's going to become more intense. That's why I can't give you a great expectation that our leaders and our politicians and our religious leaders are going to sort it out, because they're not. And it's going to get more intense the nearer you get to the second coming of Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus goes on in Matthew 24 to speak about the time of the Great Tribulation. And this is a passage which you, this is a theme which you'll find in both the New and the Old Testaments. You find a number of passages in the Old Testament which speak about it in Daniel, uh, in Joel, uh, in Isaiah. Other passages which speak about a time of intense trouble which would come upon the face of the earth before the second coming of Jesus the Messiah. Old Testament doesn't say before the second coming of Jesus because Jesus hasn't come yet. Old Testament speaks about the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord in the Old Testament is the same event as the second coming of Jesus in the New Testament. But both the Old and the New Testaments agree that there will be a time of intense trouble before the second coming of Jesus. That's why actually I don't believe some of the uh, prophecy movements which say that uh, there's going to be a great revival in which we're going to Christianize the world before Jesus returns, uh, which actually I think is one of the delusions which some of our uh, brethren have made in, the, in, the last day, in these days. Uh, if I could see that in Scripture, I would say that's great. That's, let's go for it. Let's try and Christianize the world by preaching the gospel and having signs and wonders and bringing everybody into faith in Jesus. But the Bible doesn't say that's going to happen. It says the majority of the world are going to go to Antichrist, not to Jesus Christ. So you're going to see a falling away from the truth. It speaks in the Bible about the apostasy, which will come in the last days. We actually dealt with that in the Bible study last Thursday. But you see things which are going to happen, which are going to cause people to depart from the truth rather than to enter into the truth in the last days. And the people who will be saved will be the remnant, as it was in the days of Noah. So you had a small group of people who were saved, went into the ark and were saved in the days of Noah. So it would be a small group of people who will be saved in the last days. And if you're among them, then you're blessed because you've come to know the truth. And you need to share that truth with people outside. But there's a warning. Just as Noah was giving a warning that there was going to come a great destruction and that you couldn't be, you're going to lose your life unless you uh, came into the ark, so we uh, have a message which tells about a time of great trouble which is coming. And moving on in Matthew 24, in verse 21, Jesus said, Then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Otherwise, he's saying that this is a time coming which will be of such great intensity that if God didn't cut short this time, then no flesh would be saved. No flesh would be saved means that no life would be saved but the end of life on earth. Uh, now, if, God forbid, uh, a nuclear bomb was dropped on Bridge Lane Christian Fellowship this morning, there wouldn't be much left of our flesh. But if you believe in Jesus, your soul will be saved and you go to be with him forever. So... It might be bad, but it's not the worst which could happen to you. But you can see that if he says, he doesn't say no soul will be saved, he says no flesh will be saved. So the implication of that statement to me is that if God didn't cut short the events of the last days, then it would be the end of life on earth. Uh, and we know that we do have now the potential to bring the end of life on earth. And if these judgments which you read about in Revelation fall, then it could also lead to massive destruction and end of life. <clears throat> and he says it would be a unique time of trouble, unlike any that has been before or ever shall be. Again, that's a theme which you find in Daniel, you find it in Joel, you find statements saying almost the same thing. Time of unique trouble, which if 
be unlike any that has been before or ever shall be again. Time of unique trouble because it's a time of unique evil, which is coming on the earth, and God has only one solution, that is the return of Jesus the Messiah. So he says, for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Uh, in other words, for the sake of those who are his people, he's going to shorten those days. And that's one of the reasons he's going to shorten those days is because God has a purpose for what's going to happen after Jesus returns. According to some people, the return of Jesus is the end of the world. In fact, in Matthew 24, in the authorized version, it says, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? So the second coming of Jesus is the end of the world. The world is blown up and he creates a new heavens and a new earth. But if you look carefully into Revelation 20 and in other passages in the Old Testament, there will be a time after Jesus returns in which there will be a continuation, uh, not just of life on the earth, but of life in a good and wonderful way, because Jesus will be reigning on the earth for a thousand years, and the devil will be bound and unable to influence the peoples of the earth, and the peoples of the earth will walk in the ways of God. And they'll beat their swords into plowshares and all their horrible weapons of destruction, and they won't study war anymore. So the, end of, the second coming of Jesus is not the end of the world. So God has to actually save the world from destruction because he has a plan for the last thousand years, which will be the reign of Jesus. And I think that's actually important because God doesn't want Satan to have the last word. <laughs> if you think about it, if the end of the world, if the second coming of Jesus is the end of the world, then what's to happen before it? It's the reign of the Antichrist and the time of great tribulation. In other words, Satan having his field day. So does God want Satan to have the last word? No, he's going to have the last word, and he's going to have to show us how the world should be run when Jesus returns and rules over the earth. And if you're a Christian, then you're going to have a part in that, because you're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the rapture, you're going to come back again with him, and you're going to be part of the reigning, uh, the, in the reign of Jesus Christ, and see the world run properly. And I'm looking forward to that, I don't know if you are, but <laughs> I'd really like to see the world run properly, and people living in peace and harmony and love and justice as Jesus reigns over the earth. Now, if you take the Bible literally, that's going to happen. That's the hope. And it's just a prelude to the eternal state in which uh, God will create new heavens and new earth after the second coming of Jesus. Okay, coming back to Matthew 24. Uh, that was a bit of diversion because we haven't quite got there yet because he says the third phase of the second coming of Jesus, if you like, is what we read about in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of the trumpet, they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. After the tribulation period, there is going to be a dramatic intervention of God. Uh, one of the things which people question today is whether God can actually do anything in the world. They think God, if they believe in God, a lot of believers, they think, well, God may have set the world off or may not have done even. Uh, Jesus may have been God and may have done something good to save us, but he's not really got much influence and power today. Now, today, God is actually restraining his hand because he's these things are going to happen according to his word, but there's going to come a day when God lets loose his hand, if you like, and God comes with power and glory. And Jesus is going to come this time in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Interesting, if you read in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended into heaven, and he ascended into heaven in the clouds of heaven. And the angel said to the disciples, this same Jesus will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He went up in the clouds. The cloud represented the Shekinah, the glory of God. And he's going to come back in the clouds of heaven. Come back this time with all the power of God at his disposal. Not coming this time to suffer and to die as he came the first time. He's coming this time to rule and to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this time we're going to see Jesus in his glory and his power with the unveiling, if you like. The apocalypse, the revelation, actually means the unveiling of who Jesus really is. And 
when people see him as he is, either they'll be drawn to him in wonder and praise, or they'll be repelled and in fear and ask for the rocks to fall upon them, as it says in Revelation chapter 6, and to hide them from the face, from the wrath of the Lamb. So Jesus comes again with power and great glory, and it says the earth, tribes of the earth will mourn. Those who are unsaved will mourn because they realize it's too late, and those who are saved will be gloriously looking for his return. <clears throat> and he'll gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. It's a question mark about whether that is the rapture of the church or whether it's the gathering together of the elect from the tribulation period and also the Jewish people who have been gathered. We'll look at that in a moment. So that's what's going to happen. First of all, you have the beginning of sorrows, which I believe we're in now. That tips over into the Great Tribulation period. And after the Great Tribulation period, which is seven years in length, beginning with the time when the Antichrist is rising to power, and at th three and a half years you have the most severe time, the period of real Great Tribulation, after the Mike of the Beast system is set up in Revelation 13. I haven't time to go into that, but that is roughly the scenario. And at the end of that seven-year period, Jesus comes back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Okay, moving on in Matthew 24, it says in verse 32, Thou learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The sign of the fig tree. When the fig tree puts forth its branches and its tender, puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. One level, he's just using a, a, a parable from nature. He's saying when you see the fig tree beginning to put forth its leaves, you know that the next thing which is going to happen is summer. Uh, speaking in agricultural context, perhaps we don't relate to that too well because we don't see fig trees too much and we don't relate them to the coming of summer. But what is, his message is clear. When you see certain, certain things happening, you know that the end is going to be the coming of summer. In this case, it's going to be the coming of the Lord. So when you see certain things taking place, so what is the sign of the fig tree? What does the fig tree represent? There are two possibilities what the fig tree represents. One, that it represents the rebirth of the state of Israel. One of the things which you notice in Scripture is that the fig tree is used as a symbol of the national life of Israel. Uh, just before the crucifixion, you find that Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered, which was a sign actually of the coming withering of the national life of Israel following the event of AD 70 when the Jews rebelled against the Romans and the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and began the scattering of the Jewish people into the nations, the withering of the national life of Israel. If that's the case, then the gathering, which has happened in our lifetime with the rebirth of Israel in 1948, is a sign of the second coming of Jesus the Messiah, the fig tree beginning to blossom. And we see the fig tree blossoming in a hostile and dangerous neighborhood, which is now armed to the teeth with missiles and a hateful ideology seeking the destruction of Israel which is also prophesied in the Bible for the last days, in which Jerusalem is going to be the burdensome stone burdening all nations. So when you see this happening, you know that it's a sign of the second coming of Jesus. The other interpretation of the sign of the fig tree is it just means all of the signs which Jesus says are coming together, when you see them all coming together, you know that it's a sign that Jesus is returning, which is also a valid interpretation. And one of the remarkable things about our time is we do see all of the signs which are given in the Bible coming together. Some people say that people have been saying this for years and they've been saying 100 years ago or more than that that Jesus is coming. Uh, okay, they've been saying that, but the signs were not there. Today the signs are there, all of them, and they're all converging. That's why I believe that we are living in the last days and that Jesus is coming soon. So we need to be ready. Okay, there's one little issue, which is a big issue, which we haven't mentioned so far, and we'll just put it in now. Somewhere into this sequence of events will come an event which is known as the rapture of the church. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, Paul says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we should always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Uh, this event speaks about an event which will take place supernaturally when God will take out of the earth those people who are his and will transform and translate them into the air, wherever that is, whether it's somewhere outside of this earth for sure, and will transform them with giving them new bodies as they are present with the Lord. Corinthians says that this corruptible will put on incorruption, this mortal will put on immortality. In other words, you have a corruptible body which is subject to sickness and to aging and ultimately to death, mortal. You'll put on a body which will be incorruptible without having any kind of corruption and which will be not subject to death. You won't even have to wear glasses. So something's going to happen which is going to change the way we are. And this is called the rapture of the church because of the Greek word which is used for this in, in Thessalonians about being seized away, harpazo, which means to seize away, to take away from one place to another. Now we have a big question. Does this event take place at the beginning, in the middle, or at the end of the tribulation period? And people argue about it. Sometimes they quarrel about it. Sometimes they fall out about it. Sometimes they even leave our church about it. <laughs> And it's happened, unfortunately, the case. Now, let me just say, personally, I do believe the pre-tribulation rapture, but if you don't want to believe it, that's fine. Uh, it's not in my hands, it's not in your hands, it's in the hands of the Lord, and he would arrange it at the time of his choosing. Uh, what is for sure is that he says that it will come unexpectedly, and we need to be ready for it. So, how do we handle this? For one thing, it's going to happen. Now, a lot of people kind of re reject this idea today. They say it's not possible, it can't happen. Uh, one thing, it has happened already. There was a man called Enoch who walked with God, and one moment he was taken, and he was not. So God took him supernaturally to heaven without dying. We also have Elijah who was taken up in a whirlwind, taken up without dying. So it has happened in the past, and it's supernatural, and God is able to do anything, and God is able to choose his people and to take them out, and God's able to know who are his people. Uh, he will know his people because they are born again and they have the Holy Spirit within them. So that like a magnet will attract uh, something which is metal, which is attracted to it, so the Lord will attract those who have the Holy Spirit to himself when he comes. He will know who you are. I said, we don't know the day or the hour, but actually we do know the signs, and the signs are all pointing us towards the fact that this event could happen in our lifetime. Let's go back to Matthew 24 and see what we can learn from it, about it there. It says, but, uh, Matthew 24, verse 36. Matthew 24, verse 36. It says, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also it will be, also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the, uh, as in the days of Noah bit. So Jesus is here saying that this is going to be something like the days of Noah. First of all, he says, but of that day and hour no one knows. So in other words, you don't know the day or the hour. Uh, you may know the rough period when it's going to come there. So he doesn't say you won't know anything about it. But you don't know the day of the hour. So if somebody comes along and tells you that Jesus is coming on May the 21st in 2024, then don't believe them because you don't know the day of the hour. Uh, actually, if you did know the day of the hour, some people, not people like you, but some people might be uh, thinking, well, I can sin as much as I like, then on, if it's on May the 21st, I'll repent on May the 20th, so I'm ready for Jesus to come. 
Well, it doesn't work like that because Jesus wants you to be ready all the time. That's why you don't know the day or the hour. But he does say it's going to be something like the days of Noah. And he's talking also about one being taken and one being left. Now, one thing you also have to recognize is that when you're looking at prophetic scriptures, including in the book of Revelation, it doesn't always go in a straight line time-wise. Sometimes it goes up to a point and then it goes back again and describes something which is happening before this. So some people say, well, this is after the tribulation bit, so it must be after the tribulation. That's not necessarily the case, because when, in fact, in the first verse here, where it says, but of that day, in Greek, the phrase is peridae, which is a phrase which is used in the New Testament of times when the, ch- the subject is changed. So Jesus is actually changing the subject here from talking about the end of the tribulation now to talking about something which happens at another time. could be before. One's taken and one's left. Another question which people ask is, is it positive? Is the people who are taken uh, good and the people who are left behind bad? Which would be the pre-tribulation view that the people who are taken are taken to be with the Lord before the tribulation and people who are left behind are those who are left behind for the tribulation. The alternative view is that the ones who are taken are the wicked, who are taken out of the way, and the ones who are left behind are the righteous who go into the millennial kingdom. Uh, that's one of the disputes. And we have to say, when you look at Bible prophecy, people do have different opinions. Uh, that's pretty much to be expected because it hasn't happened yet. So you have to see you're looking at scriptures and you have to give an interpretation of them. But the word which is used uh, for taken is paralambayo in Greek, which implies being taken alongside in a good sense. Are you taken to be with the Lord? Word which is left behind uh, implies being left behind in a bad sense. Not necessarily, but that's one possibility. Which supports the pre-tribulation view. Now, going back to the days of Noah, we've seen already that the days of Noah were great days of great wickedness. Violence, corruption, God was sorry that he made the world. And Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. He's told to make an ark, and he's told that he's going to find safety from the coming destruction uh, by that ark. So we look around today, we see corruption, we see violence on the earth, and we see that God has placed, found a place of safety which we can go to if we believe in Jesus. And that salvation is salvation through faith in Jesus the Messiah. It's not a physical place, but it is our guarantee to be taken to another place, to be taken to be with the Lord and have a place in his eternal kingdom. So it's quite a good parallel, really, with the ark. See also that in the days of Noah, most people paid no attention to what Noah was doing. And I guess that when he was building the ark, some people would ask, what on earth are you doing building this ark? And he said, well, actually, God's going to destroy the world in a flood. uh, And the only way you're going to be saved is to go into this ark. So there was a kind of warning going out. Uh, Today there's a warning going out, and we're giving the warning ourselves to telling people to repent and to believe before the time of judgment comes. And today that most people ignore the warning, and they carry on life as normal, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that the flood came and took them all away. Is there anything wrong with eating and drinking, or marrying and giving in marriage? No, these are normal things. In Luke's account, it also speaks about building and planting, uh, life going on as normal, and then suddenly, one's taken, one's left. Uh, Doesn't matter if you're inside or outside, if you're in the mill or in the field. Luke adds the other dimension that you can be awake or asleep at this time. That doesn't matter. What matters is if you're in the Lord. If you're in the Lord, if you have the life of Jesus within you, you have the Holy Spirit within you, then he's going to take you wherever you are, whatever you're doing. It could even be on the London Underground or in an aeroplane. It doesn't matter where you are. If you're in the Lord, then the Lord's going to take you to be with himself. It also says he's coming as a thief, Uh, an image which is used in the scriptures of the Lord coming as a thief in the night. Again, a little bit of a strange image because the thief we think of as a bad person. And Jesus compares himself to the thief. He's coming to take his people to be with himself. Now, if a thief does break into your house, he's going to take what is valuable to him. 
not going to take yesterday's paper. He is going to take a laptop or a mobile phone or a 50-pound note or whatever he may find, which is of value to him. So Jesus is going to take what is valuable to him, that's his own blood-bought children who've been redeemed through the precious blood of Jesus. So he's going to take the people out of this world to be with himself. He's coming actually not as a thief to do harm, but to do good, and really to reverse what has been done harm by the real thief who is Satan, who has trapped people in unbelief and in sin. So the message which he gives here is to be ready. Be ready for you don't know the day or the hour where the Son of Man is coming. Now this to me is actually one of the things which does point me towards the pre-trib view. Because if you actually believe the Bible and you come to the end of the tribulation and you've seen seven years of trouble and three and a half years of the Mark of the Beast system and you work out that this is about the time and you see the armies of the world gathering together at Jerusalem, it's not going to be too much of a surprise if the next thing which happens is Jesus comes. But if life is just going on as normal and you're eating you know, just carrying on, even listening to Tony Pierce at Bridge Lane Christian Fellowship, and suddenly one's taken and one's left, then that would be uh, a, a, as a, an unexpected event. So whatever, be ready. Now, if it is afterwards, if it is after the tribulation, then you had to be ready for a time of big trouble, uh, and you may lose your life in that time, in which case you have to be ready to meet with the Lord. But whatever it is, the answer to the crisis is to believe in Jesus. Make sure that you know Jesus is your saviour. Believe that Jesus is coming. And tell your friends and your family. And if you do find yourself in the tribulation, whatever you do, do not take the mark of the beast. You may find out what that is. Either way, get yourself a Bible, study this subject. Follow our Omega course, which gives you the main scriptures to look at up and subjects to study, which we've been looking at in the Thursday meetings. And there's a copy of it actually on the table there. And if the pre-trib happens and you find yourself left behind and you hear that a number of people have disappeared suddenly, then accept Jesus as your saviour and ask him what you should do. But better do it now. And make a note of the scriptures about the last days and be sure you have a Bible to look them up. Either way, believe in Jesus. And I believe that now is the time to make sure we have a place in the kingdom of God by repenting of our sins, believing in the good news, and going into the ark of salvation as in the days of Noah. Jesus is coming back again. Coming back this time not to suffer and to die, but to judge the world in righteousness according to how we have responded to the message of the gospel. When Jesus comes, it'll be too late to repent and believe, so make sure that you accept Jesus now. <coughs> Read the Bible, spread the word, and make Jesus known. Every month we have the prophecy talk, and you're welcome to come along to that, and every month in the prophecy talk we also give information about what's happening and a message about how to be saved. Just decided to advertise it, so if you want to take some of these leaflets which are on the table there, you can take them and pass them on. If you're on the internet, you can also pass the message on and uh, tell people to come along because all these messages are put onto the internet for people to watch. The time is short. Close with a quote from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where Paul says, This I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as if though they did not possess. Those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. Doesn't mean don't neglect your wife or your family. It does mean put Jesus first. Because this world is passing away. And there's an eternal world coming through Jesus Christ. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Amen. Let's just have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. We pray you help us to pass this message on to others, especially to our unsaved friends and families. Pray that many people in these last days will call upon you and find salvation through faith in Jesus.
And we thank you that although there are scary things happening around us, there is also a blessed hope in Jesus Christ. And that you told us to lift up our heads and lift up our eyes and look to you because our redemption does draw near. So give us that hope and that hope in the future and help us to redeem the time that remains to follow you and to get your word out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's sing our last hymn. Anybody wants prayer for any need, have a word with me afterwards. And do take the latest light for last days. We've got lots of them. Pass them on and use, take these leaflets as well. Give them on to your friends. I've just done a rough copy. We'll do a better copy for next week. But get the message out.